turn with me to Ezra chapter 8. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find this starting on page 645 and continuing on to 647. Ezra, Ezra chapter 8. Ezra chapter 8, we'll be reading this chapter in its entirety, Ezra 8, 1 through 36, starting on page 645, hear now the word of God. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes, of the sons of Phinehas, Gershom, of the sons of Ithmar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Hattish, of the sons of Shechaniah, of the sons of Parish, Zechariah, and registered with him were 150 males of the sons of Pehath-Moab, Eliehoenah, the son of Zerahiah, and with him 200 males, of the sons of Shechaniah, Ben-Jehaziel, and with him 300 males, of the sons of Aden, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, and with him 50 males, of the sons of Elam, Jeshiah, the son of Athaliah, and with him 70 males, of the sons of Shephatiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him 80 males. Of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and with him 218 males. Of the sons of Shulamith, Ben-Joshephiah, and with him 160 males. Of the sons of Bebai, Zechariah, the son of Bebai, and with him 28 males. Of the sons of Asgad, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, and with him 110 males. Of the last sons of Adonikam, whose names are these, Eliphalet, Jael, and Shemaiah, and with them 60 males. Also the sons of Bigvai, Uthai, and Zabad, and with them 70 males. Now I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days. And I looked among the people and the priest and found none of the sons of Levi there. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jelnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshullam, leaders, also for Joyrib and Elnathan, men of understanding. And I gave them a command for Iddo, the chief man, man at the place Cassiphiah. And I told them what they should say to Iddo and his brethren, the Nethanim, at the place Cassiphiah, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. Then, by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Malai, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and brothers, 18 men. And Hashabiah, and with him, Jeshiah, 
of the sons of Merari, his brothers and their sons, <coughs> 20 men, also of the Nethanim, whom David and the leaders had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanim. All of them were designated by name. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. And I separated twelve of the leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brethren with them, and weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered, I weighed into their hands 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth a thousand drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord. The and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priest and the Levites and heads of the fathers' houses of Israel and Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river of Ahiva on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah the priest, and with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. With them were the Levites, Jozabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Binuai. With the number and weight of everything, all the weight was written down at that time. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. And they delivered the king's orders, the king's satraps, and the governors in the region beyond the river. So they gave support to the people and the house of God. A beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today we begin our look at chapter 8 of the book of Ezra as we continue this series in this fascinating book of Ezra. 
Today, then, we see that God graciously enables Ezra to return to Jerusalem. God graciously enables Ezra to return to Jerusalem. Let me just take a moment again to mention the historical background. This is the first part. We're in the, uh, the, the first part here in chapters 7 and 8. We're in the first part of the second section of Ezra. So if we think of this like a play, we have two acts. We have Act 1, chapters 1 through 6, and now we have Act 2, chapters 7 through 10. Chapters 1 through 6 dealt with a period from 536 to 515 BC, and that was, of course, the rebuilding of the temple. Chapter 7 now, it's 458 BC, about 57 years later. Four of them, again, the importance of history and actually how significant it is in contrast to other religious books how rooted in history the Bible is, which is one of the reasons why we know that it's true. Even the names that we have written here, for example, this is all another indication, if you will, that this is real. These are real people. This is not some sort of myth like gods and goddesses. These are real people, just like you and me. Same kinds of interest, same kinds of needs, same frustrations, same kinds of frustrations. They didn't have to deal with Atlanta traffic, but you get the point. They had their own frustrations. Same need for salvation, which is the most important thing, of course, to consider. And so these were real people that we're dealing with here. And so it's important then, these historical markers and this historical background. During that time, of course, during that 57 years, uh, people were persecuted, some apostatized, others certainly were discouraged. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at chapter 7, and chapter 7 and 8 are complementary. It's like Genesis 1 and 2 complement each other. They look at creation from different perspectives, if you will. Well, chapter 7 and 8 also of here in Ezra are complementary. They both describe St. Ezra's return, um, although from different perspectives. Chapter 7 is more in terms of the preparation for it, more of the, the overview. And now we're looking at the details, if you will, here in chapter 8. So chapter 7 and 8 overlap to some extent. And the one thing you want to remember here as well apart from anything else, is that both of these chapters emphasize divine grace. Both of these emphasize the grace of God, which is the hope that we have. It is because of the good hand of the Lord that was upon them that all these things were taking place. Now in chapter 7, you may remember that we had four major points, preparation, people, purpose, and praise, preparation, people, purpose, and praise. And one of the things that we looked at in terms of that was really the key verse, perhaps of the whole book, but certainly of chapter 7, is verse 10 of Ezra 7. For Ezra had prepared his heart, so preparation, but also purpose, had prepared his heart 
to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. And so Ezra had to be ready, had to be prepared. And it all, it revolved around the law of the Lord, the law of Yahweh or Jehovah, the true and the living God. And I I think here it's really looking at law as a, as a whole, if you will. It's not looking simply at the moral law. I think it's looking at the ceremonial law because it talks here about all the sacrifices. So the entire law of God is important for us in terms of teaching us not only how we're to live, but also teaching us something about our need for salvation, our need for a sacrifice, for atonement, and then the provision of that, all of that pointing forward, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he prepared his heart to seek. He sought the law of the Lord. It was his delight. He did it. He performed it. He put it into practice. And also he taught it to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. And so the importance of God's law, we also saw the idea of church-state relations, and we're going to see um, something of that uh, again as uh, we look at uh, Ezra chapter 8, but certainly in chapter 7, very clearly uh, emphasizing that, the, the notion, again, of the law of God applying to the civil magistrate, even those that are pagans. And the, the fact that the king, uh, Artaxerxes, provided for the worship of God. Isn't that amazing? And made sure that no tax or anything like that would be imposed upon the ministers of the Lord in terms of, their, of, of hindering them with regard to their official duties. But we also saw something about the provision for salvation because this all has to do with preparing the way for Messiah or the anointed one or the Christ. And in that regard, again, we, we talk about the grace of God, his sovereignty, his sovereignty. It's God directing these events. It was the good hand of our God upon us. Ezra's interest in the law was in order to help pave the way for Jesus to come. And so again, it points us to the grace of God. Now, as we look at chapter 8, there are three major points, and we're just going to look at the first one today. People, protection, and provision. So people, protection, and provision. And so today then, we want to focus on verses 1 through 20, in terms of the people of Ezra's return, the people of Ezra's return. Now, the first thing we notice here is the reference to the chief or the heads of their fathers, chapter 8, verse 1. And here we have this genealogical listing. And, of course, it's important to have these genealogies. There is an importance to them, significance of such list. One thing we are told by this is that there's an emphasis on, fam on families. So we're not just individuals. We are individuals, but we're also families. We're part of family units. And God often works in families, does he not? 
We see this in terms of the whole idea of dedicating our children in baptism, for example. What is, the, what is behind that, at least part of that, is the idea that God works in families. As Paul says, your children are holy, as uh, the Apostle Paul says, if even one of the parents is a believer. And so a family emphasis, including, by the way, leadership, including leadership. And so here we have, we have the heads of their fathers. There's also the desire to preserve a godly line. I mentioned uh, in terms of the spiritual aspect just a moment ago. So again, to preserve a godly line, to strengthen the, the you know, the nation is only as strong as its families. So the family is the basic unit in many ways. And this is true in terms of the church as well. So we have individuals, of course. We, as individuals, profess our faith. But nevertheless, we worship together church. Also, inheritance rights. This is another reason why these lists would be important. And finally, to prepare for the Messiah. So you look at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, the beginning, towards the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, and you find all those lists, all those names, what's the point? In order to demonstrate that yes, Jesus came through a certain line. He came through the line of David. And so here we have these genealogical, this genealogical listing. Now specifically here we have, I don't know if you were, if you noted or were counting this, but tw basically 12 families listed in these first uh, 14 verses because you, you know like in verse 3 it says registered with him were 150 males and then verse 4 and with him 200 males and so forth. And so it's very interesting that there were 12 specific families, groupings here, listed. The number 12, number 12 of course, is important in Scripture. But especially, when we look, we think of the 12 tribes, we think of the 12 apostles, and so forth. But especially, there is an emphasis here on completeness. There's an emphasis here on completeness because these families then were representative of the tribes. And so there is a symbolic significance here. You also find later on uh, in this chapter the reference uh, when uh, to, um, uh, in uh, verse 24, I separated 12 of the leaders of the priest, uh, Sherebiah, Heshebiah, and 10 of their brethren with them. So again, we find the number 12 showing up here in Ezra 8. And then in this regard, as we look uh, at the chief of their fathers, look at uh, verse 13. It says here, of the last sons of Adonikam, whose names are these, Liflet, Jile, and Shemaiah. What's interesting here is when it says of the last of the, of the last sons, what this is indicating is that none of that family stayed behind. This is, this is it. They all came of the last sons of Adonikam. And here they are. And so all of that family, to their honor and to their credit, came back into the promised land. So we have the heads of uh, 
of uh, the chief of their fathers or heads of their fathers. But then also notice we have the Levites and the Nethinims or the temple servants. Now, in terms of the background, look at the, look at uh, verse uh, fifteen. People uh, had gathered there. Ezra had the people assemble at what it says here by the river that flows to Ahava. This is probably a canal of the Euphrates. So it could be a river, could be more like a canal. You know what a canal is. And this is near Ahava. And uh, this sort of reminds us, uh, does it not, of, um, of the 137th Psalm from which we're going to be singing, Lord willing, at the end of the service. Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. Of course, in that context there, they were being mocked. But now they're by the rivers of Babylon in order to go back into the land, in order to fulfill their desire of of going back into the promised land. But as they wait for three days, verse 15, Ezra noticed a problem. There were no Levites there. No one from that priestly tribe. Now, Ezra had plenty of money. Plenty of money. We saw that in in chapter 7. Not only the king out of his own personal treasury and and anyone else who was be interested uh, among the Babylonians to give to this enterprise, not only the people of uh, the Jewish people there in Babylon, not only the personal treasure, but even all of the uh, all the treasures that the king had beyond the in the region beyond the river, the other side of the Euphrates. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently. 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, oil, salt without prescription. There's no problem with money. Isn't that interesting? From pagans at that. What he didn't have was ministers. My friends, what a horrible commentary on these ministers, on these priests, or this priestly tribe. It, of course, was unthinkable that proper worship could be conducted without proper personnel, but especially unthinkable that these holy vessels could be transported without these temple helpers. So what was Ezra's remedy for this? Well, he sent two kinds of persuaders, two kinds of persuaders. He sent the chief men and the teachers of the law. So if you notice in verse 16, that I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jareb, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshullam, leaders, also for Joyarib and Elnathan, men of understanding. In other words, those who were insightful, and especially in terms of the law. And they were dispatched to Cassiphiah. Cassiphiah. And notice um, 
Verse 17, I gave them a command for Iddo, the chief man at the place Pacifia. Now, Iddo was the leading man then at some sort of academy there, a kind of synagogue where pupils were instructed in the law. Verse 17 says, I placed in their mouths the words to say. Now, he gave, this is Ezra speaking, of course, he gave command on the basis of his authority from Artaxerxes, the king. But more importantly, he did so on the basis of his being a priest and one skilled in the law. The one, as we look back at chapter 7 and verse 10, the one who sought the law and did it and taught the law. One who was skilled a man of understanding. And so on that basis then, he gave them these words. He gave them command. I told them what they should say to Iddo and his brethren. Now, what is the response then? Well, uh, Sherebiah, of course, uh, responded positively to this. He was a man of insight by means of the Holy Spirit. Heshabiah, and with him Jeshiah, and his sons and brothers. And so we find then that Sherebiah, you'll find this in uh, verse 18, Sherebiah with his men, and Heshabiah with him, verse 19, with him Jeshiah, of the sons of Merari, his brothers and their sons, 20 men. And so we find then that these priest then, this priestly class then, responded and responded positively. And then we have the Nethanim or Nethanims. Who were they? Why, they were the ones uh, who were the lowest class of temple servants. They were the lowest class of temple servants. You remember back in Joshua chapter 9 that the Gibeonites were devoted to the service. The Gibeonites were made slaves, basically, to the temple in terms of being drawers of water uh, and uh, hewers of wood in terms of the temple. And so here we find then the lowest class of temple servants dedicated, though, to the Lord's work. What's interesting here, notice verse 20, it says all of them were designated by name. Now, it could be that there was that this also that phrase also refers to Sherebiah and his sons and brothers and so forth. But it certainly refers to Nethanim, which is interesting, isn't it? In other words, even though we don't have them listed here, Ezra did have the list. So it wasn't just a gang. It was each of them individually being designated by person. It was important, the importance of the individual. The importance of the individual. And did you notice one other thing that's kind of striking? So you've got 18 of Sherebiah and his sons and brothers, 18, and then Hashabiah and Jeshiah of the sons of Merari, his brothers and their sons, 20 men. That's 38. Did you notice how many Nethanim there were? 220. 
Isn't that interesting? In contrast to only 38, at least those 38 came, but in contrast to that, here the lowliest, the lowest in terms of these temple servants, 220 showed their dedication to the Lord and came back into the land. But what was the reason then for the success for getting these Levites and these Nethanims? Well, we're told in verse 18, it was, Ezra says, by the good hand of our God upon us. The good hand of our God upon us. In other words, it was because of God's grace. It was because of his sovereign grace. And my friends, we should be especially thankful whenever God raises up ministers, particularly when none before was willing. You know, we want revival. Well, we better be prepared for revival if the Lord sends revival. There's a, a, some indication this past week, Asbury College, a Methodist school up in Kentucky, that apparently revival broke out there at at chapel, at least in measure. We'll see what comes of that. But in order really to promote revival, you need ministers. You need these gospel officers, in turn, not just the people, but you need these ministers. And so we pray that God, we pray that the Lord Jesus, from his ascension, from his ascendant position on high, Ephesians chapter 4, we pray that he who takes captivity captive would indeed give these good gifts to men. And so we should be thankful then when the Lord raises up such ministers. We must not, my friends, as ascribe our success to our own ingenuity. It's not our own ingenuity. What did Jesus say? Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, we're to do, to be sure, but we're also to pray. Pray that God would show his, his grace. But again, although having ministers is critical, having all the community is essential. Now, I have one basic point of application today, and I'm going to have a couple of sub-points here. So here's, here's the point. Children, don't miss this. Here's the point. Embrace salvation. Embrace salvation. And that's what we find here, is it not? Because this is a picture in terms of coming out of captivity and going back into the promised land. This is a picture of salvation. And so embrace salvation. And first of all, then, notice the call to join up. Notice the call to join up. And you know, Ezra vigorously called them and sought them out, did he not? He was an evangelist. He vigorously was engaged with them and sought them out and encouraged them. Now, I must say, I'm reminded from years ago being in New York City at Penn Station. 
Pennsylvania Station. If you went in there 40 years ago or so, they, very interesting, they would have the, the announcement board and it would go flap, 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 flap. It was like a mechanical board. It was, it was really cool. And that would announce the trains, but you'd also have the, the audio announcement. And uh, over the din of the noise in the station and over the hubbub of voices, you could hear the announcers calling the trains. Now, most people who had that job Oh, well, it was a job. But there was one fellow there, who I will never forget, uh, who would say, for example, ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? This is your last and final boarding call for Amtrak's train number 19, the Crescent, bound for Alexandria, Manassas, Culpeper, Charlottesville, Monroe, Lynchburg, Danville, Greensboro, High Point, Salisbury, Charlotte, Gastonia, Spartanburg, Greenville, Clemson, Tacoa, Gainesville, Atlanta, Anniston, Birmingham, Tuscaloosa, Meridian, Laurel, Hattiesburg, Picayune, Slidell, and New Orleans. Last call for any number nine. Now departing track 14, gate letter B. Oh, but if that was the crescent, you better have skidded down the steps because she wasn't going to wait for nobody. When I first gave that illustration, probably 40 years ago, close to 40 years ago in New York, where I was pastoring, a gentleman came up to me after the service and he said, I know exactly the fellow you're talking about down at Penn Station. He said, you know, even if it's not your train, you still feel like getting up and getting on board. The guy's so convincing. And my friends, isn't that what we have here with Ezra? As he was gathering the people, as he was saying, come on, it's the city of Jerusalem. It's the Palestine Special. It's the Zion Limited. It's the Holy Land Express. We're going home. We're going back to the Promised Land, which is a picture of our deliverance out of sin, just like coming out of the Exodus, out of Egypt. And we're going home in order to set up for the coming of the Messiah in terms of the temple, in terms of the sacrifices, and in terms of being in this promised land. Come on, let's go. Last call, all aboard. And so they came. Of course, not all came. Not all came. Some even went back, perhaps. Not everyone came. Not everyone heeded that call. But many did. Even as the call goes forth today, are you going to hear it? Not just with your physical ears, but are you going to hear it with your heart? And so embrace, embrace salvation. Hear the call of Ezra. 
hear the call of the Lord Jesus to come unto him. And in terms of embracing salvation, my friends, rejoice in the divine plan of redemption. Rejoice in the divine plan of redemption. We have here in our text a reminder of the necessity of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. That's the point. All those those sacrifices, none of them could actually save you. The blood of bulls and goats could not save you. But the blood of Jesus does save you. We have then the establishment and the enforcement of the sacrificial system so that the Christ could come. All Israel was included. Look at verse 35. Verse 35. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. It is all of the elect. It is all of those whom God has sovereignly chosen. All of those, indeed, not just those who were Jewish, but those who were foreigners as well, whom God had called and is calling today. We see the inclusion of the foreigners, the Nethanim, the temple servants, as a hint of what would come later in terms of the Great Commission. And so, my friends, rejoice in this divine plan of redemption. Rejoice even in terms of the necessity of personal holiness. Verse 18, you are holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also. Even in terms of the necessity of personal holiness, This is all part of God's plan of redemption. And so, my friends, I call upon you, as Ezra called upon the people 2,500 years ago, I call upon you today. Let's go. Last call. All aboard. Embrace the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? And now, our Father, we pray that thy Holy Spirit would take this word and apply it to our hearts. We thank thee, our Father, for this holy man, this chosen this godly man, especially for the Lord Jesus, to whom Ezra was pointing. We thank thee, Father, that Jesus is the one who went out among the people and called them unto himself. We thank thee, O God, that Jesus, by his Spirit, is still calling us And so, Father, give us the grace to respond positively to that call, to hear the call of Jesus. 
Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please, Teresa.